Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and we are kicking off the Christmas season of 2023 uh, with a very special episode. Uh, the movie today is sort of the controversial, I guess, Christmas classic, Die Hard. Um, one of the greatest action movies of all time, in my opinion, a perfect movie. And um, uh, we have a great guest, too. Uh, the guest today is Matt Kahn, who's a great comedian from the Detroit area. Um, also a really great writer. He has a book out called Trade Show that I recommend uh ordering and uh he also makes greeting cards uh so like a real renaissance man in terms of uh writing and um he uh is sort of a diehard expert and um this was just by coincidence the movie he brought up when he uh we, he and i were talking about him coming on and um I just thought no better way really to kick off the season and i've talked about Die Hard once on the podcast before but i thought this was um a movie I was willing to revisit, and I think there's still a lot to cover here. And uh, we really dove into it. You know, I think if you're sick of podcasts talking about Die Hard and just arguing about whether or not it's a Christmas movie or throwing out their favorite one-liners, like yes, that will happen in this episode, of course. But uh, also, it's just um, we really overanalyzed it maybe to a point, but I had so much fun doing it. And uh, I hope you have fun listening. And um, without any further ado, please enjoy this very jolly episode of We Are Movies. So you reached out uh, about this and um, and I was excited and I'm always excited when people specifically want to be on uh, because uh, it tells me that there's already like a part of you that's a movie person. Is that safe to say? Have you always considered yourself a movie person? Yeah, definitely a movie person. Um, and I was just enjoying, I saw a post on your, on a recent one and I forgot from when we last worked together that you had this podcast and I listened to it before. And then I forgot about it. And then it was nice when I went back to like, oh, yeah, I really like this podcast. So it was yeah. reminding me, I got to ask him. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, uh, so I guess by by being a self-defined movie person, uh, do you think because uh, because kind of the idea of this podcast is it's like. You know, some people are hardcore, like cinephiles. Some people, some people don't consider themselves movie people at all. But everyone has a movie or two that's like really important to them. Um, so for you, where do you think it started? Do you remember like the early days of how you started watching movies and how it became something that was like a recurring thing in your life for you? Yeah, yeah, and I think too, like movies, but um, like I love story. I think that's yeah if I could separate the two, like something draws me to story and just like understanding it and like all the layers that go into a story. Um, but yeah, as a young, I, I remember like the first time going to the movies. Um, I remember this movie that we picked one of the most, cause it was like the first time it was an adult movie and I had it on, uh, I think it was on beta. Oh, wow. Was, yeah. And yeah. so like we wore it out and we, I couldn't even believe my parents let me watch it. Um, cause I was like, I was like nine, maybe something like that. But, uh, just, just the, the adult movie to be able to just watch it over and over again too. Um, and 
you know, in the basement, like play along with the movie. So whatever the movie is and like action in the eighties were just so fun. I mean, I think it was totally geared toward like guys, it's like guys, guys kind of in that, in that era of, you know, you're saving, you're saving the world, you're saving whatever. And then you get the girl, you know, like just real basic, you know, one liners and, and getting shot and still moving on. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's the perfect encapsulation of the 80s, right? The that like hyper stylized, hyper hyper commercialized, you know, uh, Reagan's America, like yes. <laughs> that idea of just like a guy just like getting like earning what he needs, you know, like, yeah. but that translated to movies a lot, too. It was as exactly right, that 80s. And what was interesting about Die Hard in that realm is that it's not. Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not yeah. um, Sylvester Stallone. It's kind of uh, more of a charming, everyday's guy. Yes, yeah, and that's what has made it stand the test of time. I think, and and part of why it's like every dad's favorite action movie. Like, like for me, and I think this is probably true for a lot of kids. This was like my first violent R-rated movie I saw. I was probably also around nine. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw it on tv for the first time so it was probably edited for tv but it was something my dad wanted me to see actively he was like (laughs) he was like you gotta see die hard it was an essential part of manhood you know but it's like you watch it and it's like it's almost the same reason why like if you're like a michigan kid you grow up watching like tim allen home improvement is because like that is a reflection of your dad in a way your dad sees himself (laughs) in bruce willis yeah yeah I, and it's funny because my son watched it. He's now 13. So I think we watched it two years ago. So mm. when he was 11, right in that age. So still following it. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't remember if I if I went over the few brief moments of nudity that are in Die Hard, which, are, <laughs> which is like a, a calendar on the wall. And then very early, someone runs out of the bathroom. Yeah. Which... <laughs> I had no idea. So my parents scribbled the, you know, and those old recordings, like the home VHS or the home beta, like you just record it. Then you could just record, hit record again. It would just record fuzz. Yeah. So, like, so there were just like these blank spots in that movie that I didn't know till I saw, like when I was older on HBO, like, wait a second, there's boobs in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they are thrown in. They're so fleeting. Something I think I, I learned about this just recently is uh, the producer of this movie was this guy, Joel Silver, who produced like every 80s action movie. He did like Lethal Weapon and a lot of those movies too. And I guess it was a quota for him that he had to have a, like really? a little bit of female nudity in every movie, <laughs> with, that- which is also very 80s very 80s yeah that like non not even necessarily sexual in nature just like a right. flash just like boom like this lady yeah. runs out of the bathroom and what a setup to like wow that is a true christmas party there's, yeah. there's, there's people hooking up in the office yeah yeah oh. but uh but yeah that was uh i mean that, so that when i saw that as when i was older i was like well there's just how do you it was like getting a gift of like this movie's even better than I thought it was. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So you were did you see this in theaters when it first came out, or were you not no old enough um, yet? I think I, no, it was like after it came to HBO, my parents recorded it and okay. dubbed out a couple of the things. They left all the language and yeah. all the uh the shots in the head and <laughs> hangings. <laughs> 
Wow. So um, your parents, they, they edited the movie. That's crazy that your parents made like a Matt safe version. Yeah. Which I mean, it just, it just was basically no, there was no boobs in it. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. All the other stuff was fine. <laughs> that is a really funny thing in American culture. That's like, you know, people can get riddled with bullets and that's fine. But like yeah. nudity, which we see every day, technically was still too right. taboo. Uh, cigarettes uh drinking <laughs> cocaine use all yeah fine. yeah yeah Don't, no boobs but uh yeah i think the point you made yeah the guy movie point is really interesting with die hard because this came out in 88 which was kind of the tail end of that 80s boom so you had already had a, you know the rambo movies and a lot of you know the schwarzenegger movies and stuff and the 80s had been defined by these just like larger than life like chiseled dudes um and also just like unbeatable guys right, you know right, and right. then die hard comes along and bruce willis and i guess the historical context here that's kind of important that people don't realize is like bruce willis was not an action star he was a tv guy right like he, he'd been on moonlighting that's right. like a sitcom star yeah. <laughs> you know yeah somewhat um, com. i mean because he was actually considered more like comedic yeah than than any sort of action yeah well. and then you you watch the movie and it, it it's funny because this apparently was offered to sloan and schwarzenegger first it was offered to like yeah. 10 people before yeah. it got to bruce willis and they all turned it down uh contractually they had to offer it to frank sinatra because he had first uh because it was based on a book that was yeah. a sequel to a movie he had made. So obviously he turned it down because he was an elderly man. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, but like but it's funny. It's like the fact that it was an accident is so funny because you watch the movie and it's just one of those defining aspects that makes it so great. Is you know, Bruce Willis, he's you know, he's handsome, he's an in-shape guy, but he still kind of looks like a normal guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's got like that body of somebody that's uh that probably like does manual labor yeah. for a day job. And it's just like, I'm in fine shape. I could hold a piece of drywall up for six hours straight, but I don't lift weights. Right. You know, maybe, maybe like I do my 15 sit-ups and, and 10 push-ups every morning kind of body <laughs> <laughs> while smoking a cigarette or yeah, yeah, drinking yeah. a beer or something. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and he also has like a receding hairline, you know, yeah. like he yeah. doesn't, look like a you know your, your typical idea at the time of a movie star but then yeah. also like his comedic chops mean so much to the movie like yeah it, it's such an incredibly funny movie and like when i think about the movie and, and it is a great action movie when i'm watching it i'm like quoting along to all the jokes because there's oh. a hefty amount so good even in uh, um there's one, and I think my favorite line is when they're in the helicopter, the FBI agents. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Flying through, he's like, it's like Sega or Saigon in 19, whatever. And the guy's like, I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was like like a very action moment to just drop yeah. it. It was like an unnecessary, he didn't have to call him dickhead or anything. It was just like <laughs> fun. And he says it so funny. Yeah. Uh, that There's like a little hidden one for me. I love that. Well, that's one of the things that really makes the movie great for me that kind of elevates it. Where I, I full disclosure, I think Die Hard is a perfect movie. Like I think it's you know, it's just one of those movies where everything comes together, it all fits. There's setups and payoffs, there's you know, perfect hero, perfect villain, and all this stuff. But 
one of the other things that it's like a running thing throughout the movie is every small character has something to them. They're, they mm. all have, they're all pretty well-defined characters, no matter how small their role is. Like when John McClane, you know, we start off with Bruce Willis as John McClane. He's landing in LA. He's there to visit his wife for Christmas. He's a New York cop, you know, and, 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 and in a small amount of time, you know, he's, he's with his limo driver, Argyle. And that scene in any movie would just exist to get the, um, you know, the exposition out of the way of how estranged he is from his wife. But in this movie, Argyle is also such a defined character yeah. and he's a fun character. And he even has like an arc by the end, you know, right. yeah. and uh, Al Powell, you know, the uh, great character, Reginald Vell Johnson, you know, and, and all the cops, like everybody has something. And, and I think that's just one of the great things that makes it so rewatchable is you kind of notice other things about these smaller oh, yeah. characters. Well, even um, with that, so Argyle, I mean, like, look at they just used Argyle to get his backstory out, and also show like this is a, a this is a first time limo driver. He was driving cabs, and he, so he has in so much in such a short period of time, we get all of McLean's backstory essentially, a little yeah. bit of understanding of the rift between him and his wife, and then we got this like, what's up with this limo driver now? And and he entered, you know, and, and like. The music and all that that he plays and it adds another element to the movie christmas and hollis by run dmc yes it's a great probably, needle drop <laughs> probably the best christmas song there is yeah like, yeah um and then even at the very beginning the when he's landing and the guy on this plane sitting next to him is like telling him about how you take your shoes off to connect better which is actually a true thing i saw somewhere else where if you take if you're if you fly if, if you can as soon as you can take your shoes and socks off and find some grass supposed to like reground you to the earth yeah make fists with your toes yeah he says and that's like i i mean that's such a little throwaway kind of it's like the first conversation that happens and it literally took me years before i realized that that's a setup because yeah. mclean once he gets the chance he takes off his shoes and his socks and makes fists with your toes and then when the terrorists show up he's now shoeless for the whole movie which adds a complication that comes up later like that is just like airtight screen yeah <laughs> yeah and, and then you're like god had you not talked to that guy or not sat there like how much <laughs> right. easier would that night have been for him you know yeah yeah but i that, love that yeah every little piece was there that um no I, it is like when i think about it and i was as i was rewatching it like geez everything just ties in everything is so tight um one interesting thing and you mentioned the book that it was actually, I don't know if you already knew this, but it was his daughter that he was going out. Yeah, because he was an older character in the book. I yeah. Think, right. Yeah. 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 So he was going out there and his daughter, and um, I, I don't want to jump into the subcontext, but a lot of the thing was like he was going out there and it was a symbolism of like saving his daughter's soul from this evil corporation. Because I think yeah. it was like an oil corporation she was working at. Yeah. So it was they, like a more it was a more kind of distinctly anti-capitalist uh type of story, I think. The yes. book. Yeah. And this is pretty close to it too. They just did it differently. Yeah, there's uh it's not like outwardly an evil corporation. You know, you meet Takagi, who's his wife's boss, and he's he's a friendly guy. Uh, but then also you have Ellis, who is the yeah, the the classic 80s businessman slime ball, like doing coke. Oh, so uh, good. <laughs> flirting with Holly, like, you know, everything about him is it just it ticks all those boxes. And the fact that like 
they introduce her watch, the Rolex, which is sort of a symbol of this company. And that pays off at the end, literally the final moments when Hans Gruber, the villain, is holding on to her Rolex while he's hanging out the window and they have to unclip the Rolex. It's, you know, it's beautiful. Perfect. And that, and again, like with that capitalism and everything, symbolism is that, you know, that was a symbol for greed that, and his, and him saving his wife. Yeah. Like detaching from that Rolex and freeing her. Yeah. Yeah. And and a couple interesting things I learned, like talking about maybe the movie subtext and its political themes and stuff is uh, John McTiernan, who directed the movie, he's talked about how, um in like earlier drafts of the script hans gruber and the you know the the villains of the movie they were like left-wing terrorists you know Mm -hmm. they were people coming to you basically opposing the nakatomi corporation where he he makes the choice finally instead he made the choice in the movie to make them robbers to make them capitalists in their own way (laughs) you know interesting yeah (laughs) Because they well, and he and they say that he is like he defected from that uh, from that left wing group. They mention that on the news. Yeah, Hans does. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm ready to roll into this. This yeah, yeah, go for text. it. Um, yeah. I even went back and, and did some notes, but like, oh, just real backpedal on Ellis really fast. Yeah, uh, maybe the best. Like, gosh, that character was so great. Yeah. Like. He only has a few. Every single thing he did, he stole that scene. Like when he goes in and, and tries to negotiate, like that oh, whole thing. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> and boom, and he gets him a coke. Yeah, it's so good. And even how Hans interacts with him, he when when uh, they bring Ellis to the door, and they're like, "Wait, this guy wants to talk to you." And then Hans or uh, Ellis starts talking to him. He go. He doesn't even address Alice. He talks to like number two, and he's like, "What does this guy want?" And it's yeah. just like just these little. I don't know. I've just found that like fascinating. How like he still didn't talk. He he didn't recognize him yet as anything. And and, uh, and a testament to Alan Rickman's performance as Hans Gruber, which this is his first movie. Uh, I guess he was a stage actor before this, but he oh, makes yeah. Hans Gruber so likable and funny as a villain and in the scene with Ellis the way he's very sarcastically interacting him like where Ellis yeah. is like, like he's like he's like you know I don't know if you're pissed off at the camel jockeys or whatever yeah, and he's like yeah. but whatever you want and then and then I uh, the way Alan Rickman's just very dryly like wow you're amazing you figured this yeah, all out yeah. already <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a brief part where they were the one of the henchmen like kind of reached for his gun to just shoot him right then and then and <laughs> he just, shakes just, his just head. like but like it's like shake a head like just one more let me just see a little bit more of what this guy has yeah uh that that, that whole scene was one of the best we were recording that like it came back to us like in our 20s and we hadn't seen it and we were just hans booby <laughs> like it was ah that was apparently bad. that that booby moment was improvised by hart bachner the actor that ah. was actually all him it's beautiful beautiful example of riffing <laughs> so i had a i was telling you before we started a, a podcast that i dedicated to i broke down die hard in 10 minute segments yeah and uh and it was it was funny there's a lot of nonsense in there but really dove into each 10 minutes of the movie and i reached out to heart 
to see if, and his people to see if I could get him on the podcast. And I got a response from his publicist, but she was like, Hart has no interest in talking about movies that he did 30 years ago. Like, <laughs> this isn't just a movie you did 30 years ago. This, this is, is the, the most only... famous movie. You did. Yeah. 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 Um, and with that too, I was in LA and I went, I had these tank tops made. I'll have to send you these pictures for the, <laughs> for the, for our podcast. And I went to the, the Fox building, the Nakatomi Plaza. And uh, I have oh, like nice. pictures of me like against the wall, like like he like Bruce says before he like, goes around the elevator, like some of those shots barefoot in the plaza lobby, and then oh, I wow. got kicked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> All worth it. All no, it's totally worth it. That is, yeah. I mean, this is uh, the Knock and Tell Me Plaza. It has an iconic look, and that is just the Fox. Uh, building which at the time was like under construction and they were just filming it on you know on these empty floors and apparently there were still people in the offices that had to were complaining about the gunshots so they had to film at night (laughs) when people weren't working there (laughs) amazing yeah the uh that they still do um what they do like the 30 year anniversary was you know five years ago wow and i was we were just wrapping up recording the the full full season of this of Die Hard and uh so we I emailed Imagine and we did a live broadcast from the Imagine during the re-release of Die Hard oh so nice it was, yeah it was we interviewed people going in to see it it was so stupid uh <laughs> but they have like candlelight vigil they were like doing they, they had a like candlelight vigilant vigilant oh. uh at the Nakatomi building like for Die Hard, for the for all the victims, like some of that stuff, they actually <laughs> did and had like a screening in the parking lot and everything. It was pretty funny how they embraced it. Yeah, well, I love. I mean, speaking of the way that the movie it, it introduces these characters, where like, yeah, Hans Gruber's vaguely European. It's this like weird, like racially yeah. diverse group of robbers. You know, yeah. uh, there's a black guy, there's an Asian guy, there's you know a little bit of everybody, uh, and then uh, he, but then yeah, it subverts that idea that the villains are just ideological terrorists and they are just robbers but even to the point where it's kind of mocking that idea it's making fun of the genre trope where he's on the phone with the fbi and he's like or on the phone with the police and he's just like he's has a fake demand where he wants to release all these people right these freedom fighters around the globe and like there's one of them is like the asian dawn and one of them looks at him like asian dawn he's like i read about them in time magazine like there's just like he's (laughs) it's all a joke it's such a brilliant like and and it's so funny that so many movies that have ripped off die hard including die hard 2 have like retreated they've like done less than that they've gone back to the old terrorist thing where it's like die hard alone the movie that started that was already subverting the formula you know right right well um was it speaking of ripoff because i just watched it again silence of the lambs there are yeah. two two parts that are like i mean and i looked it up i'm like when was that because silence of the lambs was a book that came out a couple months after the movie did yeah um, but two critical parts of silence of the lambs it was hannibal lecter Hiding in the elevator, yeah. Or, or uh, what did he do? He killed the person, threw him in the elevator shaft. They thought he was Lecter. Yeah, yeah. But that was Hans. So one McLean is hiding above the elevator uh, gate. So he's like basically just above everybody in the elevator. Um, so that felt pretty familiar. And then two, Hans's escape was the same as Hannibal Lecter's. That the whole thing is uh, Theo 
was going to be driving the ambulance out of there. So he was going to have Hans in the ambulance and take him away. That was his plan, and uh, which was the same as Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And Hans was going to blow the roof with everybody on it. Like, he was killing everybody. Yeah. And and so I, I looked like the whole thing blew, and then I I would assume blame it on, like, the the feds blowing the building. Yeah. And, and um, uh, it, speaking of the feds, and speaking of, you know, you brought up Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson, no relation. Um, so great. See, like, which is a great joke. A, just a fun thing to do. I love like, you it. don't need that at all, but it's funny. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> a, a white guy and a black guy show up with the last same last name, and they have to point out that there's no relation. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but... I, this is a movie that it really clicked with me rewatch. I rewatched it two nights ago and I watch this movie every year. I watch it every Christmas. Um, but this is a movie that I think really has disdain for every American institution. Uh, yeah. The police, the federal government, the media, they're yeah. all portrayed as at best incompetent and at worst malicious. <laughs> like, because uh, yeah. you have... You know, the only good cop on the ground really is Al Powell, Reginald right. L. Johnson. He's the only one who's kind of connecting with McLean. He understands what's going on. You get, um, you know, the the D deputy chief Dwayne T. Robinson is the guy in charge who's played by the asshole principal from The Breakfast Club. Right. He was a great asshole 80s actor. He's an asshole in a lot of movies back then. Um, and then you have, you know, Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson who are the feds who pretty much don't care about the hostage situation. They're okay with losing hostages if right. it means taking out the terrorists. And then you have um, the guy who plays, I, I'm bad with, I always forget his name, uh, William Atherton, who also played the um, EPA guy in Ghostbusters. So also a popular asshole actor. Uh, he's the um, the reporter oh, who right. yep. we're following who is really intrusive and horrible and goes to Holly McLean's house, you know, to interview the kids. It's like every single person outside of John McLean yeah. is, is pretty much incompetent or bad, you know, yeah. that's clearly a running theme. Well, and that, that um, even like the, when they cut to the newsroom, cause there's so many scenes in this movie, you're like, well, it, it it adds to this like this subtext the subtext I feel like because you look at that scene like I don't know why they put that in there even like in the the news studio they have yeah. Rob Thornton or something like that and he, Har he Harvey John oh wait yeah uh, Thornton and then Harvey Johnson is the anchor man and then like yeah. the, like he gets so angry that it, he like inter like is shown on screen being angry because he got interrupted or or whatever yeah. and he did like, Harvey. It's that scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, why, why? I don't know. Just like all of a sudden now you just add depth to this this anchor character and you saw like what a monster he is and it disrupted Gail sitting next to him. Yeah. Get, Harvey has like two lines. It's the it's the bit where he has that back and forth with Thornburg where you know he says eat it, Harvey and it makes him upset when they go on air. Yeah. And then also later they're interviewing during the hostage crisis, they're interviewing a guy who's the author of a book called hostage terrorist terrorist hostage and <laughs> yeah. uh and the guy says like uh they're going through something called the helsinki siege uh syndrome and then he's like as in helsinki sweden and he's like no finland so it's like harvey's trying to be an expert but then also if you have the knowledge that really he's talking about stockholm syndrome it's like the so-called expert doesn't even know what he's talking right, about exactly yeah and, and then it's also so 
there's a really dark sense of humor to it where he's talking about this like yes it's where hostages gain affection for the terrorists and often later visit them in prison and we're hearing that line over them dragging ellis's dead body <laughs> after hans shot him in the head so there's this clear juxtaposition between right. his idea of what's happening and what's actually happening you know yes well overall like you said so and i've read this somewhere and i noticed it after i watched it again too is the story is basically like the the higher up in the government, the higher up some of these things go, the bigger the idiots or the the larger the incompetencies are. Like yeah. the guy that's like the street guy cutting the power to the grid. He's like, they make him seem like he's like the the only one that knows you can't do this, and yeah. he's being like forced to do it. And uh, yeah, they have that whole back and forth. You can't do it here. I tell you, you got to go downtown. And yeah. there's a the guy like, yeah. yeah, it could. Yeah, the blue collar guys are the ones who know more about what's happening. Yeah. And yeah. even like Al Powell in a way too, because he was like closer to like the street uh, boots on the ground. And then you go up to like the FBI and they're like, what's, you know, even why Hans wants to work with them too, is because I think there's that part of understanding like the incompetencies is the higher up you go. Yeah. And the, the way that Hans's plan was depending on the FBI shutting off the power. Like knowing that yeah. they were going to do that, like that gray line was like, you, you want to marry across the, I give you the FBI. And yes. it's like, like he's comp counting on how incompetent the FBI is. Yes. <laughs> what I don't, it, what I don't understand. One part I didn't get is Theo, who is like the IT guy. Yeah. He's the only American terrorist uh, in Hans's crew. Now, yeah. And I didn't, I always was fascinated by like, why, him why that character um i didn't know why they brought him like what was the why him do you have any thoughts um, on that he yeah i don't know that there's not much backstory to like he's a character he has a lot of character he's like a quippy guy he does that little night before christmas bit you know yeah. um but yeah you don't really know much about him he isn't the only american though because the guy who they have at the front desk who looks like huey lewis uh has oh. like a he has like a southern accent did he, um, see okay i thought he i thought he was playing that reason. no yeah he, he's because you hear him say like we got a fire alarm so he's like american oh okay you're right yeah because yeah, he, he he was like watching the he used the football game too he's like god damn it yes yeah i yeah. i think that part of it is just like showing that hans's crew is not ideological and they're not nationalist in any way so it's ah, like okay. hans is german and then carl like some of the guys closer to him are german but then it's like yeah there's you know th there's the asian guy too who i don't think has any lines but uh that's a good point yeah he's played by the asian guy i wanted to point out is a really recognizable guy uh al leong who shows up in a lot of 80s action movies he's also in big trouble in little china he's ah. in a lot of like anytime there's a big asian gang he's always part of it um but even he a guy with no lines he has like a gag yeah. where they're taking position and oh. he's right by this candy table and yeah. it like pans down and he's reaching for candy <laughs> like yeah yeah even in that moment we learned something about him and like that that part of the movie was like my favorite part as a kid because this idea of like oh another perk maybe the only real perk i saw as a kid is like you could just <laughs> you wouldn't have to pay for that candy <laughs> yeah you you couldn't conceive what bear bonds were so you were just like oh i can just steal candy yeah. yeah. Did did you happen to look up what bearer bonds are? Um, I you know I've seen bearer bonds in so many movies, and I think I only partially understand what they are to this day. They essentially are like crypto. Yeah. Okay. Because it's it's just like this untraceable form of 
bonds currency that are issued by like government or businesses. So yeah. like a perfect thing to heist because there is, and there, they were a real, they're a real thing uh, yeah. or they yeah. were um, because you can easily transfer them and there's no, you can't track them, which made sense. Yeah. 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 It also made sense for like what the Nakatomi Plaza and what the Nakatomi company is, as far as like, they are a, uh, like industrialization. It, yes. Like, what Hans really, why he, in some way, I thought he always targeted why he targeted that specific one. And some of the other subtext is like, this is like evil at its most. It's this idea of like, and, uh, was it Nak- not Nakatomi? What the the boss is that Nakatomi? The um, I, I Takagi. Takagi, the boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you go into his office, you see all of their projects across the the world that are, um, you know, these... like Indonesia and all these yeah com- countries. Yeah, a bridge over here, and I think Hans rep. I think he says industrialization. Um, but like, so basically, that's just they're putting these poor countries into debt. And and yeah. that's like what you can see like that's the um the global effect that this company has on on poor companies poor countries and what yeah. Ellis Ellis is the main point of that because he's like the head of accounts and Holly is the corporate affairs so she is there to like paint it with a positive brush she's like there for the corporate image which is kind of an interesting yeah. thing so she's like. And if you go back to the book too, it's like this pulling in of, of um, greed and like changing of this character that they're trying to save, like kind of saving yeah. the soul. Uh, so I just, I was like, that's so fascinating when I got into that more and understanding what that was. Yeah, that is fascinating. That's uh, I had never paid attention to the actual roles that they play in the company and how important that is. And, and I think it's, it's an interesting layer where it's like, Hans and his crew are stealing from a company that they deem to be evil. He even mentions that. Like, he's like, due to the Nakatomi's injustices around the world, you know, like, like he's sort of justifying what they're doing. And at the same time, Hans and his crew are evil, right? And it's like, they're predators, they're parasites leeching off of other parasites. And it's like, in a way, it's almost like, uh, I don't want to totally equate this, but it reminded me of like, the guys who shorted the housing market, <laughs> you sure, know, right, or it's yeah. like, how do we, how do we profit off of evil capitalism in our own way? You know? Yeah. No, that's, um, so oh, shoot. What was the, the boss's name again? Is Tagi? Takagi. Takagi. Yeah. So he's interesting. So even with that, because, um, he came over his parent, when he, when Hans does his background story in front of everybody, when he's trying to figure out who he is, he says yeah. all these things. He came over basically when he was five years old to the United States yeah. and was put into uh, a Japanese concentration camp. Yeah. So he was there for a few years. And then he went to all these schools and you know, Stanford Law, like all these prestigious schools after that. But um, there's also this idea, I think, too, that like, like diehard and this like modernization of of countries, like he said it. Uh, I think one of the first things he said to John McClain is like he mentions Pearl Harbor, and then yes. he's like, "Yeah, he's like, because Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we brought you the tape decks." Yeah, so we got you with he says we got you with the tape decks. Yeah, yeah. So like, I, that's like another like a inter- modernization, industrialization. I don't know quite as much as industrialization, but um, when you look at what the word diehard is, it's like it means slow to adapt. 
And so mm -hmm. if you look at like what happened after like World War II or leading up to World War II, really before Pearl Harbor was bombed, like America looked a lot different. Like the values yeah. were different. Everything was different. And then you look post and then you see like consumerism and a lot more of those things. And that's what kind of I think he meant by that too, in, in a way of like modernization or industrialization introducing all these products and all these things that now this consumeristic country now is. Yeah. And that almost uh, relates to me, the, the sort of illusions the movie makes to like old Western movies. So, yeah. you know, there's yeah. that idea like uh, John McClane mentions that he's a big fan of Roy Rogers and that leads to the yippee ki motherfucker line. And, right. and, you know, he goes by the nickname Roy when he's talking to Al and then there's like the joke at the end where he's like, John Wayne does not ride off, like walk off into the sunset with Grace Kelly. And he's like, that's Gary Cooper asshole. So oh, there's all good. these Western yeah. jokes and he calls him Mr. Cowboy. Uh, but then like um, when you think about it, it's like in a way, John McClane is sort of like John Wayne and the searchers or a lot of those Western characters, which were like or basically John Wayne and the searchers, the man who shot Liberty Valance or any of those movies where the whole idea, it was like, for society to progress, we stand on the shoulders of archaic men, people who don't fit into our society, you know, yeah, like yeah. Uh, this, like we need to, you know, we're industrial, industrializing, we're moving on, society's moving on. But to get there, to fend off the evil, we need people who don't get us and haven't moved on because those are the only people who can make, who can fight that fight for us. And John yes. McClane is a blue collar guy who hasn't changed with the times as much. And he is sort of the hero. Everybody needs to turn to, you know? Yeah. And that's funny. Cause they, they show that in such a, in such a crafty way, him even going out West. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like just going out West is like, he's a, a drifter. I, yeah. And like, yeah. Just like, like, he doesn't get it. He's like, he even says he's like fucking California. Right. Like, right. Like, a guy it's like the lady. Up. Yeah, a guy kisses him. And he's like, I like how when the guy kisses him, McLean like smiles for a minute. Like he's kind of like, he's yeah, but he's what, just like, she's fucking California. Like he's, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's the the even the little bit when he first gets there and they're making him use this. This part always made me laugh. He has to use this touchscreen directory to find Holly, yeah. and the guy makes him click on a bunch of stuff. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, yeah, she's uh, at the Christmas party. They're the only people left in the building. It's yeah. like, all right, well, asshole, yeah. how come you didn't say that? Right, yeah. How <laughs> you didn't tell me at the beginning? What are we doing yeah. here? But that great <laughs> moment where McLean's doing that, and he's just like, oh, cute toy. Like, from that interaction, you, you yeah. already get the sense of what kind of guy he is. Yeah. And and a little bit, like, uh, there was an odd amount of times, like, women caught his eye. Yeah. They, they had weird cuts where it was, like, a woman at the airport – um a woman he like looked across the office building to another office i think and he saw like a woman in a, a window um yeah so a lot of those that were like women who make kind of flirty looks at him a couple times yeah. yeah so it was like almost and it was hard so trying to figure out his backstory is like did she is she out here obviously she's out here for her career but it was there any some of those i was like are they saying that john has, has had a wandering eye in his marriage kind of thing yeah i always saw it as like because the most prominent one is at the beginning when he gets off the plane and he's holding the teddy bear for his yeah. daughter and he the, just this the flight attendant and him lock eyes for a second yeah um and uh, there's actually like a deleted moment in there. If you look at the deleted scenes, there's actually some dialogue where she's kind of more 
outwardly flirting with him uh, but um i i always saw that as the implication that it's just like he's been away from his wife for a while <laughs> and so true. there's just like this this you know just this man up. yeah this pent up desire but yeah. but at the same time he's been fending him off you know like yeah like true. there okay. but but it's always been lingering that idea you know of just needing a woman <laughs> And then on the flip side, do you think anything happened between Holly and Ellis? I felt like no, because I think that from their first scene together, it feels like he's always been persistent and she's never given in, you know, at least with the type of character she is. But um, I I also think that there's this feeling that's I don't know, she she just appears smarter than that, because there's also that exchange where they're in the bathroom and McLean's like, he's got his eye on you. And she's like, well, I've got my eye on this private bathroom. And so she seems to understand like, yeah, he's flirting with me, but I'm just using it to my advantage, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I felt. Um, The, but also that, that moment too, was like this greed that's taking over Holly. Yeah. Was shown and kind of had like Ellis as being kind of like the symbolism for greed, symbolism for like evil. And maybe Satan, I don't know how to go, I don't know if it's all the way labeled down to that, but in that same scene, uh, he's like, oh, sorry, Ellis gets really depressed this time of year. He likes to think he's the, he's the only gift from God. Yeah. Um, the amount of religious quotes and uh, the amount of times John's, they say like Jesus when they're like talking to him under those moments. So. And his initials are are John. It's McLean, but there's a close JC. Um, yeah, and then like yeah. the you could you could you could say that there's some miracles in this movie. Um, they say he, the word miracles a couple times. He, I read something that he's never shown walking through doors or leaving rooms. It's like he's always in the <laughs> next room. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, I I think it might be from the Bible. Maybe I'm wrong here, but when Hans says uh, Alexander wept, as there were no more worlds to conquer, like <laughs> where he's kind of it, it's sort of a symbolism of his own greed. But yeah. you know, but also his misreading of that quote, where it's about like realizing you've got everything and crying because it's not enough. But for him, it's just him saying like like. Uh, well, in a way, he's he's relating it to the Nakatomi Corporation, which is like, oh, you've got everything, but it's not enough, you know? Yeah, yeah, still more. Yeah. Um, oh, with that, I don't want to jump around too much. I didn't know I had more on. Well, Holly, it's just funny because it's a Christmas. Holly's Holly. Yeah. Uh, it was just it's kind of funny. I don't know if that's ever. Uh, and then more like the West with the drugs. I was just thinking of that more for John, like just being out West. Um, but the uh the so he mentions the boss mentions the um the pearl harbor thing and then his passcode to his his safe is the name of the air um what do they call those aircraft carrier that bombed pearl harbor that's his passcode so like there's obviously like this and then the fact that he was in a concentration camp and all these it kind of like led to like Oh, is he part of like? Is that almost part of like an like this imperialism? Even within, like, is that was that the plan? At least what they were saying, as far as like imperialism in the in the U.S., where because like Japan owns, I think they may owe more more U.S. debt than China. Even like they own a lot of of U.S. debt. So in some ways, when he's like, 
you know, we, we didn't get you with Pearl Harbor. We got you with uh, the Walkman. But yeah. it also speaks to that a little bit of like, and it's just weird when you're looking It's back like America's thinking, demons coming back, yeah, you know, yeah. like <laughs> based on our sins of, of yeah. uh, you know, of, uh, Hiroshima, <laughs> maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there, I don't know. There's just this, the evil, um, like media, even like that, they kind of display that again as like kind of evil, like separating family, like very even literal in the, the reporter goes to the house and threatens the housekeeper. Yeah, he threatens to call the INS. Yeah, so there's, um, I don't know, I, I tried to dig really deep into symbolism and just see, like, what, you know, is there, like, a, a theme? And it's hasn't quite nailed it, but, like, some of these, I, I get, like, the idea that they're going with. Oh, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot there. And um, the other thing is, um, uh I mean, I think John McTiernan has talked pretty openly about this, but the movie, he calls it sort of a criticism of toxic masculinity, which I I think isn't, it's not immediately apparent because John McClane is a classically masculine character. But if you compare him to the other characters who are masculine to a fault, right? To the point where they don't see their own, uh, you know, their own flaws, um and also the fact that you know carl who's sort of the the main henchman who's the guy with the big vendetta against mclean he could be jean-claude van damme he could be any 80s action yeah. hero sort of like a european very built very muscular guy uh right. with this big jaw like he sort of represents those guys that were leading the action movies at the time you know he could be schwarzenegger or something right and yeah. um and then at the same time, like one of the lines that I always think of is when the uh, when the you know the police show up and then they just start sending everyone in, just hot headed, not thinking about it, and the SWAT team goes in and they just get obliterated. Um, John McClane's looking down; he's going, "No, no, you macho motherfuckers!" Like he calls <laughs> yeah, them yeah, macho. Yeah. The fact that they're so macho they can't even think critically about the situation, you know? Right. Yeah. And then also that McLean's entire character arc is him sitting in that bathroom, pulling glass out of his feet, crying and realizing he should have been more supportive of his wife. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. You know, it, it is kind of like, yeah, it's not, it's not as straightforward as you think. Even that's why I think like the movie, they say, is it a Christmas? Not Christmas. It's like, I, I think it's an anti Christmas movie because it's ultimately, <laughs> It's like an anti-capitalism um, movie. In a way, yeah. This is what I really see it as. Even with the, the bearer bonds floating down from the sky at the end of, of like... Which becomes like snow. Which is like snow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because then you LA. literally hear the song Let It Snow as it's yeah. coming down. Yeah. Every little thing. And then uh, Hans Gruber, the person that wrote Silent Night, which was playing when the, when the terrorists take over, the person who wrote Silent Night is Franz Gruber. <laughs> which is like i mean yeah. i love the detail put in the thought put into like every character every music choice every scene that's i, I think that's what makes it so rewatchable and i don't know if you know it's like if there's a movie that has like a like the under, underlining like subtext that maybe you don't even realize but i think there's something like even in your subconscious that like is recognizing it and it makes you want to watch i don't know i've always found that like i don't know why i like that movie but i i I want to watch it again. Yeah. Even if it, 
there's something to it, you know, and I, I thought that, that this movie does that. Well, that's what I think film criticism is all, is, is all about. It's realizing you love some, something and then trying to figure out why, like trying to figure yeah. out all, all the little things that it does. And one of the things in relation to what you just said, uh, one of the music cues that I love, the whole score by Michael Kamen is really great. Uh, but when uh, the, the you know Hans and his crew first get there and they've broken in and they've taken the hostages and they're just walking through setting up uh the music is like a riff on winter wonderland it's doing this like dun 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 dun, dun. yeah and yeah. it's like in a way they've they've entered their winter wonderland you know they're like oh yeah. this is like our paradise kind of um, that's interesting yeah no it is that's yeah. uh the time the timing of everything i mean even I think it's funny that her name is Holly and that it's been <laughs> in our face this whole time. And I, I don't really see it as like this. And like when people are arguing for being a Christmas movie, they're not like the main character's wife's name's Holly. Come on. Right. You know? Yeah. Nobody brings that up. No, it's I, like a, I've always been, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm curious on what you think about this. I don't want to harp on it too long because it's been talked about forever. The is die hard a Christmas movie thing. I in general don't believe in, christmas movie gatekeeping i think anything can be one if you want it to be um and for me i guess i never believed die hard was a christmas movie as like some sort of contrarian take i remember seeing it nine at nine years old and just being like oh yeah it's a christmas movie like it just didn't like it wasn't a thing that i ever said to try to be edgy like it was just always there for me you know just because it's not you know christmas with the cranks or whatever doesn't make it not (laughs) <laughs> a christmas yeah, movie but right, right. has that do you like are you more attracted to it during this time of the year or anything do you have that association in your head or no i don't have it at all <laughs> like I, <laughs> I think i think it was like as a boy i just related probably to that what i believe to be that like the ego side of the hero man you know yeah. getting shot or stabbed and i i grown up like being in those 80 movies those 80s movies the the action movies like i was convinced at some point in my life i will be shot and i will have to (laughs) (laughs) i will have to power through that and still save the day at some point (laughs) like like that's how convinced i was what happens you get shot in a non-critical area usually like a shoulder or like a love handle and uh and you just pull it out if you can if not you know well, and that this is the perfect movie for that too, because it is one of the few action the movies that make you really think like, oh, that could happen to me. You know, yeah. what if I was, what if I was at an office party and terrorists took over? What would I do? It's, you know? That that has has to. I mean, that's consumed my thinking since I was eight, <laughs> nine, ten years old. Of like, all right, where are we? How are we getting into the vental the vents system here? Like, how do we crawl in through? Yeah, you know, how, how do we navigate? <laughs> I'm always like, how do we get out of this room? Where's yeah, how do we field? scope it out? Yeah, no, yeah. I was the same way. Yeah. I, I The funny thing is I once showed this movie to a kid. When I was living in Thailand, I, I was just showing it to a, a few friends of mine. And people were kind of talking. They didn't hear the dialogue as much. Uh, I think it was like a pool party that I was ruining or something probably with the movie. <laughs> but um, I remember at one point when McLean's getting out of, the, out of Argyle's limo and he's about to walk in, one of my friends goes, oh, is he going to arrest somebody or kill somebody? And I was like, no, he's just going to a Christmas party to visit his wife. I, it was like, <laughs> like your action movie expectation is like, oh, he's a cop. He's doing something yeah. cop-ish. And it's like, no, he's just, to, to his knowledge, from his perspective, he's just celebrating Christmas. That's all he's doing. Yeah. And he's going to try to reconnect with his wife. That's literally it. Yep. It's the action movie. The action movie stumbles into this human drama <laughs> where they yeah. just 
collide, you know? Yeah, because it's not, and the, the pacing of the movie is so interesting because there's, I mean, there's action almost immediately. Yeah. And and it stays pretty constant without, um, you're never sick of it either. Yeah. And it's never too much or too long before it kind of dips into another one of the side stories. But like, when I would have, when I watched it again, I was like, when he steps on all that glass in my head, it happened earlier, but that happens actually pretty late in the movie. It's yeah. really one of the last, he goes to the roof after that. And then he's basically running into Hans. I mean, you're, you're kind of winding down after that. And it's, it's one of those great, the way the movie's a mind game between McLean and Hans, you know, there's that great scene where Hans is pretending to be a hostage and he's yeah. doing an American accent and he notices that McLean is barefoot. So then later on he goes, shoot the glass and like it's all about like so much of the action is hinged on these small tactical things that they're doing against each other right. and i think that's what makes it work and in a way a lot of people who don't even like action movies tend to like die hard because it's not like repetitive action um right. it's very like you know there's great tension there's so many great just like stressful moments there's claustrophobic yeah. moments um and there's and, and so much of the action is dependent on McLean just trying to survive. It's not him going down a hallway gunning dudes down. It's right. just him trying to evade the danger most of the time. I did under that part, but one one quick thing is I love a movie that takes place in one night. I think that's yes. it's I, I wonder and almost like how close is this movie to actual runtime? Because the movie is just over two hours. Yeah. Uh and it, he gets there at five-ish yeah and then we don't really quite know where it ends but we know it's nighttime but it, it definitely doesn't take place over that long of a period of time you know everything feels like each thing happens right after the last thing yeah you know what I, what i don't get is why he even he gave when hans was being bill stone or something like that when he was faking being uh bill clay well. bill clay yeah. that's where it um why he gave uh why he even gave a gun he gave an empty gun knowing that he shouldn't give this guy but then like why not what was the point if you kind of had your suspicions about him why not figure it out and and i mean you let him go basically i think that in that scene mclean i always felt like he, he suspects him but he needs to know for sure so he gives him the empty gun to find out um and uh, another great, like, I just like, he's like, no bullets. What you fucking stupid, Hans? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a great, like, um, it, it, you never quite know the moment where McLean totally suspects him. But there's that off-kilter feeling. There's the music. There's It's shot in Dutch angles. So okay. you're not, it doesn't totally feel comfortable, you know? You can feel that paranoia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think he probably thinks like, oh, well, for one thing, he doesn't know the other guys are coming down the elevator. So he doesn't know he's about to get ambushed. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have the timing so, of it. Yeah. I love that. Right when McLean is on top of the situation, he's on the bottom again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, great point. But uh, also, though, too, like, give you gave up one of his cigarettes. And he knew he only, <laughs> as I was always like, oh, man, you're yeah. trust, you don't, you, you have your suspicions and you're going to give up your last smoke to this yeah. guy. I, lo I always loved in that scene in a weird way he and Hans have like good chemistry where yeah. like he looks at his shoes and he's like, yeah, better than getting caught with your pants down, huh? And they're laughing about it and yeah. they're smoking cigarettes. And it's like, you're almost like on oh, another life. These guys could have been buddies. Like, right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I like um, that.
Yeah, but because uh, in a way, McLean is the only one who really understands Hans. You know, he even points that out when he's when Hans is holding Ellis hostage and he's just like, you know, Hans, this dirtbag doesn't know you, but would know what kind of man you are. But I do, you know, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're, dude, your Bruce Willis is on point. Oh, thanks. I, I've yeah. been working on it. I was like you. I was watching the movie trying to be Bruce Willis. You know, to, <laughs> um, I like, I, I, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I like when he's fighting. When he fights uh, the 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 number one henchman there right at the end before he hangs him with the chain, I yeah. like how he just is like talking shit even when yeah. he's like, he's like, "I'm gonna fucking kill you." Like it's not that I'm gonna, fuck, I'm, I'm gonna it's like I'm gonna fucking kill you. I'm gonna fucking cook you. I'm gonna fucking eat you. <laughs> yeah, but like in other action movies, they don't because that would almost look like spazzy or unmacho to talk like that kind of spazzy shit, you know? Yeah. Instead of just. Instead of just the one, and he did, he still does have, I guess, those one cool lines. But like, that's like, uh, if you were fighting like a real spaz kid, you're like, dude, you need to chill out and just focus on the fight, you know? <laughs> no, I love that because McLean is, you know, he's not Jackie Chan. He's not getting in this well choreographed fight. He's no. getting into a dirty street fight because he's a kid from New Jersey, you know? Like, that's. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, the like i love that he brings that kind of brutality from his background to this fight with these you know high-tech uh right german <laughs> terrorists yes right. yes yep no, um and then uh... he also got when he says you should have heard your brother squeal squeal when it broke <laughs> his fucking neck it's just so mean <laughs> so mean yeah and even him writing like on that, I, we I, on my podcast we went through and just like that brother became like a a joke of ours because of like <laughs> he showed up. He's like the only one he's wearing. Like he was definitely like a little brother that wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, you know he's got like, a great a, joke with him too, where he cocks the gun and goes, "I promise I won't hurt you." <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> he's got like nerdy glasses on and he's wearing like a matching sweatpants and sweatshirt. You know, like just yeah. like, probably did not know they were doing that that night. They're like, well, "We're gonna watch some soccer." Okay, sounds good. And they're like, "Hey, hold this gun. We're going to this building." Oh man! And he's just like, <laughs> he's like one of the first ones killed and written on his sweatshirt. You know? Yeah. Well, I've always seen that implicitly as like part of what makes Carl feel so angry is probably the guilt that he dragged his little brother, who's not as <laughs> tough as him into yeah. this thing you know <laughs> yes yeah see another layer of that yeah just so little and then you had this whole backstory of carl and his, his baby brother that he was <laughs> wasn't supposed to go out every character in this movie could get a spinoff they're all they've oh, all got so something good. going on they do. Um, so and good. i you know we didn't really talk about holly but i think holly's a great character holly's a very assertive character i love the scene when she talks to uh hans and basically says like well you know you killed my boss and so now everyone's looking yeah. at me and kind of negotiates with him and you know he, he almost like in that moment kind of respects her like he's just sort of like when he has that like mr takagi chose his people very well like yeah. he in that moment he's just like okay i get it yeah you're being assertive i get you know he, he respects yeah. her far more than he does somebody like alice yeah respects that <laughs> and then like concedes to in some ways like she's like she put her in office like no we'll bring a couch out for her is that fine yes like, yeah he, he still like make sure that that's okay he's like a fair negotiator even yeah. even though uh i and you know i something she gets uh how as i watch it like the movie goes on she kind of gets hotter i don't know if that's weird <laughs> well her blouse gets a little more unbuttoned yeah <laughs> as it goes on yeah and you're like yeah. at first you're kind of like john dude don't 
don't sweat it, dude. She's like, got, <laughs> you know what I mean? She's got bad yeah. hair. She's yeah. like, eh. and you know, he's, he's getting hit on by these gals at the airport and everything. And then, but then at the end, you're like, all right, okay, all right. And then you're like, I get it. I know why I they're it. in love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he no. something. Yeah, no, he does. And um, uh, I I think uh, so. One fun fact I found out: Bonnie Bedelia, who plays Holly, she and Alan Rickman became good friends apparently during the production ah. of the movie because they have yeah. quite a few scenes together. They one of my favorite moments is like one of the things I love about Hans as a character is like he is this very intelligent very eloquent guy he kind of almost started that shtick of the action movie with a very like articulate intelligent villain you know um and then but then by the end of the movie john mcclain has pissed him off so much he's so stressed and when the building's you know like burning down basically because he blew the roof and he's just like collecting all these bags with the bear bonds and he's so stressed and then she says like after all your posturing after all your speeches you're nothing but yeah. a common thief and he just like falls on the ground gets right up in her face and goes i'm an exceptional thief mrs mclean <laughs> <laughs> like he's just so like like he's yeah. just had it you know yeah, i love yeah, that yeah well and then that's kind of interesting you said it because that does bring back to the overall theme of like these the the every man is more intelligent or more wise in some ways than like the these higher positioned people. You know, like like John McClane, the street kind of wise guy, brought this elegant thief down to his knees off yeah. of just like street smarts, and, and like every other person that was higher in, like was ruining things. Um, yeah, I don't know. So the other, I Holly. So John, okay, just real quick, is John Jesus again? Because I just thought of this. <laughs> so he he makes it through like he kind of has these miracles, even with like kind of the feet. I think he lays out a little bit like cross on that, and then um, like walking on glass. I don't know if that's walking on water kind of thing, but then yeah. that fountain, he like comes out of the water. Yeah. And- and then there's also like the pregnant woman too. That there's that layer of a pregnant woman on Christmas Eve too, which is another part of like yeah, yeah. The, the that's Mary <laughs> almost yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So um, I don't know. So there was just like it's not like close enough. But they didn't spell it out if they were doing anything like well enough to like really identify it, but uh, it feels close. I'm surprised people haven't used that argument. It's a Christmas movie because there's a pregnant lady. I'm surprised that yeah. doesn't come up more often. The, 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 see, the pro Die Hard is a Christmas movie crowd. They just need better points. That's the problem. There's there's so much more there to work with. <laughs> I, I really go, and it's anti-Christmas because it is anti-capitalism the way I Yeah, the way yeah I no, it's, it's, it's a Christmas movie the same way Bad Santa <laughs> or something yeah. like that is a Christmas movie, I guess. And I... I call that a like that's my favorite Christmas movie is Bad Santa. If yeah. I had to pick it. And that's movie. an anti-Christmas movie as well. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah. And I just heard I was listening to something. Is it uh White Christmas? It, or is it a wonderful life? One of the two. I've never seen either of them. But one of them really dives into like the US financial system. Oh, that's it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Which that's an anti-capitalist that. movie. Yeah, that's okay. a movie that hates. It hates slumlords. It hates like you know oh. big business. Uh, yeah, uh, that movie actually got inve- that was a 1940s movie that got invested but investigated by HUAC for possibly being communist propaganda. Wow, actually, no um, way. Yeah. Um. I, before we go, I, I, obviously yeah. we 
I love how much we dove into the subtext of this movie. Um, yes. Uh, and the characters and everything. I do need to point out, like, as an action movie, it is great. Like, yeah. we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the tension and stuff like that. It's beautifully shot. Like, that was another thing I was noticing last night. I was watching it on Blu-ray and it's like, there's so many lens flares and like beautiful fluid camera movements in a way that just movies aren't shot like that anymore. Yeah. You know, um, the, uh, a couple, one moment I think about is the moment where Hans realizes that Holly is John's wife and the camera's like dollying in on him and it's, and it's dollying in on her and it's cutting back and forth between the two of them when he's like, Mrs. McLean, pleasure to meet your acquaintance. <laughs> and it's like, it, it feels like Hitchcockian, like that tension. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's just a lot of great, it's like, you know, there's great filmmaking too. And um, and he looks at her picture. There's that yes. moment after she, he looks down at that picture that's face down and then you're like, is he going to pull that up? And then he doesn't. Yeah. And, but yeah, that tension right there. Again, just that one little, uh, little setup that's done in this movie is incredible. Well, it's also like um, if you want to talk about like a Hitchcockian technique, that picture is like the bomb under the table idea of like we know that picture's there. Yeah, he, we know he's sitting right next to it. When is he going to yeah. lift that up and make the connection? You know, right. um, and even like the payoffs of like, yeah, she put that picture down so he wouldn't know through most of the movie. The payoff of like, oh, it's a Japanese company, so we don't use our, you know, the, we we use our maiden names, and that helps right. her. <laughs> like, right, right, but she goes right. by Holly Gennaro. Like, uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's brilliant. And um, God, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Do you think though, with that with that office context, uh? So for one, Hans sits in that office. Is there an element of this office is symbolizes evil? Because not only like um, Hans occupies that and that's where he's kind of running command center, but Ellis is in there ripping uh, lines, which is weird, which made (laughs) me think that they're a lot closer than what you believe. For him to go into her office and do lines is weird. It suggests that maybe she does it too. That's possible. You could think of it like that. I, I, you could also think of it like Ellis is just an intrusive guy who doesn't know personal space, you know? Um, but yeah, no, that's definitely, you know, I never thought about that. I've always thought of it like Holly was still very pure at like maybe her purity as a person was at stake, you know? But I think like at this point in time, she had not, you know, sold her soul kind of like, like you were saying yet. Um, but, uh, a couple questions I had for you. Um, um so first of all what's your favorite besides yippee kaya motherfucker because it's the obvious one it's the most famous line in the movie which it's really funny that in this movie it has a context it has a reason because yeah hans calls him mr cowboy but then in all the diehard sequels it's just his catchphrase that he right. said it's his get her done like he just says it like right. <laughs> it's like imagine if you knew a guy in real life who just had a catchphrase you'd be like all right that's why do you do that but <laughs> um, uh but there's besides that do you have a favorite line that sticks out to you favorite quip or anything well uh, that that the way that guy says dickhead is my f- <laughs> yeah i've never heard it funnier i, I do like that i mean it's kind of classic but when uh and everything ellis says 
But for McLean, when he does the lighter, that scene in the in the vent, he's like, "Come out to the few, coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. Yeah, have a few drinks, have a few laughs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, it's like such an a, such a character, like a cartoonish moment that's just like fun, you know. Yeah, and right before then, he's getting poked in the ceiling, and that tension right there is unbelievable too. Yes, I love that so many of his because, like, you think about Bruce Willis and. I know it's really unfortunate right now, you know, he's with aphasia and everything and, and probably how that's affected him throughout a lot of his later career. You forget that like back in the day, he was one of the, the most charismatic actors in sure. big, you know, big blockbuster movies. And um, you think about how much charisma he sells, mostly being alone in the movie, mostly yeah. talking to himself and it's, you still buy it so much. He's so charming and funny and relatable and um, just sells these lines that a lot of other actors couldn't do talking to himself. Like when he's like right. crawling through the van, he's like, I, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Or, <laughs> and I love that so many of his lines are him just kind of questioning the situation. Like when he's about to jump off the building because it's about to blow and he's tiring, he's tying the hoses um, around him and he's just like, oh, John, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love that. It's like, it makes you relate to the fear, you know, he's right, scared. Right. Uh, he's not OP as the kids call it. Like he's right. totally, you know, terrified. Um, and uh, the line that sticks out to me that I always lo love that probably makes me laugh the most every time is when he's calling in the terrorist attack and he's, <laughs> he's on the CB radio and then he's like, emergency, emergency, anyone listening to channel nine and the lady, and he's like, you know, 12 terrorists have seats in Nakatomi Plaza. And this woman's like, excuse me, sir, this is for emergency calls only. And he's like, uh, no fucking shit, lady. You sound like we're ordering a pizza. <laughs> no fucking shit, lady. Am I ordering a pizza? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing is uh, I mentioned that this movie has been ripped off a bunch of times do you have a oh, favorite yeah. diehard clone movie? Oh gosh. I don't yeah. I mean honestly like the the sequels are are I I don't think any of them are bad. I mean maybe the really new ones. Um, the fifth thought, one was pretty bad. But that's Die, the only one. Diehard with me. Vengeance for being like the third one. I think yeah. that was a nice turn too because this the second one in the airport was essentially the exact same story. Yeah. It, uh, with the whole movie's him going like, "How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice?" How yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> in the airplane? It's like uh, uh, yeah. I can't think of of what like a a direct ripoff. I know that there was one that was like The Rock just had one a couple years ago that was like Skyscraper. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty deliberate of exact same movie. But what's yeah, yours? what's yours? I mean, there's so many. Air Force One might be up there. Uh, I am partial to uh, Seagal and Under Siege, but I know oh, it's not yeah. like a great movie. But uh, yeah, th those are some of the ones. I, there, there's a Van Damme one called uh, Sudden Death that I really like too. It's Die Hard on an, uh, a hockey rink. <laughs> um, nice. uh, to an extent, I guess you consider The Rock with Nicolas Cage. Oh. That, uh, that's like it's Die Hard on Alcatraz. Um, yeah. <laughs> but would you, say, would you say Speed? Oh yeah, yeah. Speed's die hard on a bus. Yeah, yeah. Um, go speed. Yeah, they they always said. So the interesting thing is, Die Hard one and two are both based on books, different books that were adapted into Die Hard oh. movies. And then Die Hard with a Vengeance was based on a screenplay that was just written called Simon Says. 
which was originally going to be the screenplay for Lethal Weapon 4, which is why it's a, it's a white guy and a black guy, because Sam Jackson is his uh... sidekick in that movie. And the whole story that they tell is uh, originally um, uh, the script that was going to be Under Siege 2. Uh, or So Under Siege took the script that was going to be Under Siege 2 took the script that was going to be Speed 2. Uh, which is the train movie. And then Speed 2 took the bow movie, which was going to be Die Hard 3. So then Die Hard 3 took the script that was going to be Lethal Weapon 4, which left Lethal Weapon 4 with no script. Uh, and that's why the movie ah, <laughs> is the way it is. Is, but, Chris, is Chris Rock in that one? Chris Rock's in that one, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Jet Li, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was... You kind of answered both of my questions because I was also going to ask your favorite Die Hard sequel. I think the third one also is... Definitely. I, I think besides the fifth one, I think they're all pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the third one is like, it adds that new element where you have Samuel Jackson as a sidekick and it still has that. It's all in like one day. So it's yeah. still, you know, you got that ticking clock element. Um, It feels very, you know, even though it's all across New York city, it still feels very contained. Um, yeah. And it's the same director as the first one, actually John McTiernan. So I think that's part ah, of it. He just, okay. he knows how to do that tension and that action. Yeah. Um, I, I I just I think like Bruce Willis is he I last Boy Scout was on TV last night. That, that's one of my favorites. Oh, and I hadn't yeah. seen it in a while. And I'm like, man, I gotta and I, I gotta watch it again. Like and it was on regular TV. So I was like, ah, it was like on a weird like channel seven point two on the antenna. Yeah. And uh <laughs> but it's Halle Berry's in that too, right? Yeah, Halle Berry's in that, Damon Wayans. Yeah. 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 But, man, that's... does he he plays the the hungover, uh, <laughs> you know, like kind of. He's a loser. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A loser that you want to root for. Yeah, because he hates he hates himself. It's not like yes, you know, he does that so well. Well, I love in the last Boy Scout, this first scene, he looks in the mirror and he goes, "Nobody likes you. Everybody yeah, hates yeah. you. You're gonna <laughs> lose. Smile, you fuck." Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, Bruce Willis is like, I understand that, you know, later in his career, he said that he was kind of bored with how many action movies he ended up having to do. And I think in some ways he had a little bit of resentment towards Die Hard because of that. But what makes Die Hard work so great, we mentioned, was because he's not an action guy. And so many action movies tried to replicate that. I think that Last Boy Scout does that really well with him. Um, But like, yeah, Bruce Willis all through the 90s was still doing some like cool choices like he was in mm-hmm. pulp fiction mm-hmm. during that time you know the sixth sense right at the end yeah. of the 90s and then even much later in his career he was in a wes anderson movie moonrise kingdom you know he was yeah. doing interesting stuff and, and and it was like just when you thought he was getting tired and phoning it in he would do something really cool and original and right. you'd realize he still had it in him when he wanted to you know and i think I think he started white guys bicking their heads. Like, <laughs> I think he was. Yeah, I, I really do think he was the first because, and I feel like Jordan did it for like black men or for. I mean, he made even just all men shaving your head seem cool, but it yeah. didn't. But it was still like kind of just held for like black dudes, and then. Yeah. And then uh, Bruce Willis did it, and you're like, wait, 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 what's he doing? <laughs> well, also with Bruce Willis, you can see how that was such a a benefit to him too. Because you watch Die Hard, you watch the first three Die Hard movies, you see the receding hairline. You know, you, you know the days were numbered on yeah. that hair, and so he got ahead of it. And just by shaving it, he I think preserved 
his youth for a while. Like I didn't think about Bruce Willis as old for a while because you know, he shaved his head. So there was no thinning balding that you could yeah. see. It's just, it looked stylish, you know, it's like, a, but I, I just remember, I remember like the first time I saw a picture of it, you were like, what is he sick? What is going on? Like, <laughs> right. Why? Cause it wasn't something <laughs> that you saw, like, no, you know, not many actors. You're either old and you have that. And that's part of your look or like you're young and you have hair for some reason. Balding doesn't affect uh, actors the same way it affects the usual, the regular humans on earth. Like they yes. seem to rarely bald if you're a movie star. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. But it was like, I, I remember hearing about how Patrick Stewart on Star Trek, the last generation was like, that was considered to be a huge thing because actors weren't allowed to be bald as leading actors back then. And yeah, they tried to get him to wear a hair piece, but Gene Roddenberry was just like, no, no, in the future, nobody cares about being bald. And yeah. it's like, you know, and Bruce Willis did usher in the whole, every time I see like a movie starring a, a bald middle-aged guy in like an action, like a tough role, I'm like that you are, you're, you're just walking the path that Bruce Willis paved for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like the first, I, I, I had this theory like to, um, bad guys in movies are always it's always like creeps and bad guys or yeah. bald or bald you know like that's their how you say like someone's bad which you know doesn't help the rest of the, the male pattern baldness citizens of the world to have that yes. context too like oh you're um, evil or a molester <laughs> <You> right <know? laughs> yeah 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 that's true um i uh pulled up a couple half star reviews for the movie oh, yeah. sweet um we have uh there's no way a movie made me enjoy the terrorists more than everyone else omg stupid cops ruin a movie for me and it did here especially since this was a dumb action movie that gets dragged out for so long because everyone but the terrorists are stupid uh you know i agree everyone but the terrorists are stupid in the movie i think that if you yeah. don't realize the point of that then that's on you <laughs> yeah i mean everyone except for obviously john mcclain and Al Powell. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Even uh, and Hans Gruber. And Al killed a kid. They just threw that in there a little bit. So he Al killed a kid. It. Well, yeah, and that gives him I mean, if there's anything that maybe didn't age great about the movie, it's that you gotta you feel sympathetic for this cop because he accidentally killed a person. Yeah. Uh but it does result in a, a cool little arc for him as well, where he draws his yeah. gun at the end and saves the day, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Um I do love that. Uh, another half star review says the absolute worst movie I've ever seen. I've, I have ever been forced to watch. If you want to purely just experience toxic masculinity for two hours, this is the movie for you. I've never been so bored throughout a movie and there are exactly zero plot twists. I hate this movie so much. This is a fascinating one for me. Cause it's like, I think they're so close by saying yeah. like toxic masculinity is in the movie. It's like, yeah, yeah, I think it's in there. I think, I don't think it's endorsing it um also right. zero plot twists i disagree i think there's one or two yeah, there's a couple <laughs> things going on they're not Shyamalan twists but they're in there right no i, I mean the writing and as we mentioned throughout talking about it like these little setups to these payoffs later are just incredible almost everybody has something going on yes yeah um the last one i screenshotted that I just thought was funny was mall cop, but bad. That was that. 
<laughs> yeah, Paul Blart Mall Cop, another diehard ripoff we didn't mention. But yeah, yeah, that's... yeah, perfect. <laughs> I yeah. guess you could say Home Alone is one too. Now that I think of it, I really want to get into it. <laughs> yeah, especially the last half hour is yes. like a reversal in a way of that. Yeah. No, that's uh, yeah. I mean this this one this this uh, I mean the savior. I guess is what you know is John McClane. I still see it as a Jesus figure. Uh, yeah, is uh, and kind of pure too. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, it seems like he didn't even want. He didn't even drink the champagne. They gave him like, yeah. like a sip and set it down and uh, in his old values. But um, no, I just I couldn't agree less with those. Except uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's all positive for me. But I I think I I grew up in male tax toxicity or whatever she said right said and so it's like normal for me well in a way as a movie that's sort of anti-capitalist and also a criticism of toxic masculinity it's what i call a great trojan horse movie because it doesn't advertise itself as that it's not right there on the surface a lot of bros love this movie a lot of super masculine dads love this movie you know uh it's not a movie that feels exclusive like it's not preaching to the choir it's just got these themes as undercurrents of what is on the surface just a super entertaining action movie and i think that's that's what makes great films you know yeah no i like you said at the beginning i think this is like it's close to a perfect movie for me yeah having everything it needs so yeah man yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Die Hard before we're done? Uh, no. I, I think I got it out. I got All out right. the industrialization, imperialism, anti-capitalism, <laughs> Christmas, Jesus. Uh, Covered every every topic you're not supposed yeah. to talk about. <laughs> Everything. They did it all. That's yeah, it. dude. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah, I've always cool. wanted to really dive into Die Hard <laughs> this way. Um. So uh, this is the plugging part of the podcast. You have a lot yeah. to plug. You have a, I want to mention you have a great book, uh, Trade Show, which I'm currently reading. Um, ah. But, uh, I, you know, you mentioned you love stories. You're a great writer. Uh, so, um, yeah, I like that book a lot. Where do you prefer people to buy that book? Is there a place besides Amazon? Uh, or Amazon is the best. Just leave a review if you can and eat those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. But my love for story and and subtext it's within stories like i tried to put that in my book and and with this diehard you know these financial themes i love financial themes in movies i just watched killing them softly again last night yeah and like i have to go back again because there's so much and you have to watch that one with the subtitles on because they're telling you're telling multiple stories with that yes um that's such the the definition of a bush era type of movie too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, like, so my book, had, I, I put some massive um, elements like financial subtext in there, system subtext, but nobody's commented on it yet. So if you do read it, you do <laughs> me that I'm either terrible at it or all my friends are morons. So it's one of the two. <laughs> Could be both, uh, but no, both. probably no not. Probably not. Reading it. It <laughs> might be nobody's reading it. There's like, good book, man. <laughs> I no, I will let you know. I'll talk to you about it once I'm done with it. Um, Sweet. and then uh, and you sell uh you sell greeting cards. Yeah, so uh, check out and my books on my website too. Matt Con Comedy M A T T C O N N Comedy dot com. Um, yeah, greeting cards. Um, and my books on there and my shows coming up. So, you know, I'm trying to, locally. I'll be at um, Comedy Castle on uh, Valentine's Day. I'm nice. In between, but I'm I'm 
not like Detroit local as much. I'm kind of all around. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, man. I, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love so. to do it again. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anytime. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs.